My guest for this episode is Chris Cornett, an associate professor of orthopedics at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. He's a career changer and my brother. (laughs) We're going to talk about how he made his decision to become a spine surgeon at Nebraska Medicine. He's vice chair of clinical services in the Department of Orthopedics, the medical director of outpatient physical and occupational therapy, and co-medical director of the Comprehensive Spine Program. This is Invincible Career, and I'm Larry Cornett. So before we dive into the interview, I want to talk about the treasure hunt this week. If you haven't heard of this before, basically every week I'm asking a question or I'll have a challenge and there will be a gift for the winner. Sometimes I ask that in my newsletter at newsletter.invinciblecareer.com. Sometimes it's in the actual email that I send out for that newsletter. So be a subscriber if you want a a chance to win. And then as I said, sometimes I'm going to ask the question or offer the challenge in this podcast, and I'm doing that this week in this episode. So I'll provide uh, some clues and the question a little bit later in this episode, and I'll explain how you can answer that question, where to answer it, so that you can win the prize, which is an ebook this week. Um... It's going to be a Kindle book, not a Kindle, (laughs) the book, a book, but I will be providing more details about what the book is and uh, give you a chance to win. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for making time today. Thanks for having me. So let's start with telling the audience a little bit more about uh, who you are and what you're doing right now. Uh, So my name's Chris uh, Cornett. I'm from Western Nebraska originally. I went to undergraduate school at Lincoln, majored in biology, had some interest in pre-health. Uh, initially thought I would have a strong interest to do physical therapy or some type of rehab. Mm-hmm. Uh, had interest in sports. I was interested in activity. I've always been pretty interested in health. And at the time, um, you know, when you're young, I didn't... Uh, <laughs> think I wanted to devote all the time to medical school yeah. and some of the different medical trainings based on the length of the, the tracks and uh, was already had some considerations about, you know, starting a family and things like that by the end of college. So anyway, I applied to graduate school and attended physical therapy school at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha and did a three-year master's degree there. And, you know, interesting, interestingly, while I was in grad school, I had some exposure to some of the different fields in medicine. And I, I think I was a little naive as to how broad medicine was mm, and, sure. uh, you know, the different options for jobs. And once I kind of had some shadowing or some exposure with that, it's really probably for the first time in my life, I got really excited about uh, my career and potential career or yeah, just opportunities yeah. for work or development. And I, I think that's one of those things where you don't really know that you haven't had that yeah. until you haven't. <laughs> so, right. yeah. you know, so it kind of really was kind of an aha moment. I mean, I, I literally remember coming home, waking my wife up, uh, probably much to her dismay <laughs> at like 11, <laughs> 11 PM and just running through all the potential options in medicine, yeah, you know, whether that's, right cardiac, surgery, neonatology, radio, you know, all the different things. And 
Uh, it just seemed like a really big open box and I was very excited about it. So I kind of just almost had an aha moment and decided, Hey, I need to switch gears, which is a little tough to do in the middle of <laughs> grad school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, you know, to her credit, she was uh, hugely supportive of it and almost said, you know, Hey, if you feel this way, you can't not do this. And right. so I, uh, finished grad school, uh, you know, literally went to like a Barnes and Noble and bought an MCAT book because <laughs> I hadn't taken chemistry in three, four years. I had done well in college, luckily, and I had all the prerequisites, so I didn't have any problems that mm-hmm. way. But took uh, took the MCAT, finished my grad school degree, applied to med school. So I graduated in May, started med school in August. Right. <laughs> so I remember that, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I went through seven straight years there and then went through medical school. And then in medical school, uh, being a little bit more savvy, I cast a pretty broad net, really looked at everything mm-hmm. yeah. and then honed in on orthopedics and within orthopedics, I thought I had an interest in spine, but I didn't commit to that yet. And, uh, again, just tried to set myself up for success and for keeping my options open and then matched in orthopedics at the university of Wisconsin in Madison. So I went there for five years, looked at all areas of orthopedics, studied all areas, again, kind of honed in on spine, decided I wanted to do spine surgery, and then went to Pittsburgh Medical Center after I left Wisconsin right. for a, a complex spine fellowship, and then came back uh, to the University of Nebraska Medical Center as a staff physician and a, uh, uh, teaching in the med school uh, 10 years ago. So now I work at UNMC and the, the hospital associated with that right. is Nebraska Medicine. And we teach residents, uh, teach med students. Uh, I, you know, teach pain fellows, physiatry residents. And then also we do some research. Uh, I have some administrative duties. Uh, currently, I'm uh, vice chair of, the, of clinical services for the Department of Orthopedics. I'm an associate professor in the university. Uh, a medical director for outpatient physical therapy for Nebraska medicine, and then also medical director for the comprehensive spine program. And then primarily what I do is uh, clinical work. So I do, you know, I'm a adult uh, and pediatric, but mainly adult spine surgeon. Mm -hmm. I take, you know, we take level one trauma call. I treat tumors, fractures, disc herniations, back pain, scoliosis, I mean, you name it. So I do surgeries, have clinics, see patients, all those things. So that's kind of the, kind of a nutshell of what I do now. So you keep busy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, so end to end, how long were you in kind of school and training and residency before you actually were doing surgery? How long was that whole process? Well, it was a little bit extended for me, obviously, right? Yeah. And then, uh, not unlike you, I worked through college right. too. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think in undergrad, I spent about four and a half years in undergrad. So since you know I had an extra semester, you blew that second semester. So <laughs> uh, I think it's right around seventeen years if you add it all up. Holy crap! After high yeah. school. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's Pr- a pretty huge much seventeen commitment. years contiguous. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if people understand. It is a huge commitment. I don't think people understand. They're like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a surgeon, but I don't know if they fully understand the entire process of getting that education. I guess it depends on what you choose too, right? If you're going to be a GP, it's probably quite different. Yeah. You'd shave off three or four years, you know, doing that. So if you hadn't gone, so for instance, someone that didn't go to grad school, like I did. So if I hadn't gone to grad school, 
and I'd have went straight into medical school and then I would have became a GP or a pediatrician or an ER doc. Right. I functionally would have gotten done there six or seven years sooner. Okay. So it's quite a bit yeah, of that's difference. That's huge. That's huge. So, I mean, one of the questions that comes up and I, I remember talking with, um, a guy who's been on a different podcast, Benjamin. So we were talking about the cost of medical school and loan options and loan repayment options. And we've all seen kind of Northern exposure where he got shipped off to a <laughs> Sicily, Alaska <laughs> to repay his medical school uh, expenses. What are the options that are available for, for students that are looking at some way to make this manageable? You know, there, there are options out there. Uh, I was fortunate in that through undergrad, I had a, a tuition scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I actually had a region, they call it a regents in, in Nebraska. I had a regents through grad school and through medical school. Right. So actually I paid no tuition at all, but I still had cost of living and, you know, and even in medical school, I had a child. So right. um, there still are other expenses. And depending on where you go to medical school, the cost is, is astronomically different. I mean, it could be fivefold increase depending on where you go. Mm. And so, uh, you know, a medical degree at Duke is not the same cost as a medical degree at UNMC and people don't always talk about that. And then, uh, you just have to value, uh, you have to look at what you value or what you want, because you got to realize it's not like with a certain degree, you're guaranteed a fivefold increased income. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Depending on where you go to school. Right. But I would say there's a lot of options. Most of the options stem in primary care because mm-hmm. that's where, you know, our society is, uh, there's a lot of shortages there and that's where they're trying to encourage people uh, to go into primary care and then specifically primary care in underserved areas. So either oh, right. yeah. uh, a, a rural area or a community that's underserved mm-hmm. in an urban area. And so a lot of times if you'll commit to going back to places like that, there's a lot of loan repayment options. So usually that money is not up front. Some, there are some programs up front, uh, like in Nebraska, I actually originally signed up for a rural program and, and won a scholarship mm-hmm. that was quite a bit of money. But then within six months, I actually gave it all back because I decided, right. you know, I'd, right. I, once I'd sort of honed down and I guess not made a mistake, but maybe didn't think globally enough. I decided I wasn't going to do that again. So I was always, I always wanted to keep my options open. So then when I honed down just for a financial reason, I decided to give it back and it it was a good decision Mm -hmm. for me because I think I would have perhaps switched careers again. (laughs) So (laughs) sure. I think, you know, money is important, but the loans are there. And typically if you go into certain fields that aren't going to get those paybacks, mm-hmm. a lot of times your income's enough where you'll be able to pay your money back. Sure. If you go into other fields such as primary care or GP, there's, there's a lot of options to get that paid back. Mm-hmm. Now, if you pick a particular city or a particular community and say, I really want to live and work here, you may not have that option. But if, right. it, if you're right. open to going to some other places or, you know, kind of seeing what's out there, there, there's options to pay it back, but it's certainly, it's, it's a commitment. I mean, the expenses yeah. are enough. It's unless you're fortunate and have a lot of background money or you have somebody helping you, it's, it's, unre- it's unrealistic to think you're done and you pay everything off in a year or two. That's <laughs> yeah. not very common. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, I mean, going to graduate school to study for physical therapy added years kind of to the whole process, but do you feel that studying to be a physical therapist made you a better surgeon later? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think it did. Would I have the same? Could I have the same job? I could. Mm -hmm. Would I have the same breadth of knowledge or maybe the same appreciation for things? Right. I, I don't think so. Okay. And I think that's one of the things that um, sometimes people don't realize in medicine, there might be an, an analogous field where they study just one area and people say, well, how's that much different? I mean, part of the benefit of a medical training is that you see a little bit of everything for years and years and years and years. <laughs> and right, so, right. so like for me, you know, when I came back here, yeah, I'm a brand new spine surgeon, whatever, 10, 11 years ago, but, but I've been doing medical training and, and healthcare for like 15 years at that point right. or 16 years. So it's, yeah. it's a little different than somebody that's just starting a job and has never seen this before. And so, um, I think it did help. It's given me appreciation for a lot of the non-surgical aspects of things. And okay. then we, yeah. we spend a lot of our time ordering therapy. And so when I order therapy, I don't just order therapy. I kind of know what they can really offer or not offer someone. That's a good point. And, you know, how it may help them. Or And there's times I'm like, you know, therapy's probably not going to do you much good. I mean, I know what they can do for them or can't do. So right. I, it's helpful for sure. Do you feel like you work better with PTs given that you understand that world? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. I do. And I think, I I also think there's a lot of, surprisingly, this is something I maybe hadn't guessed. I have a lot of patients that see me that actually say, oh, I saw you were a therapist and they actually like that. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause they, they, I think they think it means that maybe I have another slant and I'm not maybe just looking to operate on them. If there's other options, I'll have that. Right. in my toolbox too. So right. I, I didn't, I hadn't anticipated that, but it seems like in general, my patients view it positively. That's a good thing. Okay. So how did you make the choice to go into being an orthopedic surgeon? Cause there, like you said, you had this huge box of options kind of in front of you that excited you. How did you decide, Oh, I want to do this versus cardiology or neurology or, you know, there's so many things you could have done. Right. Yeah, I, it's a great question, you know, and I mean, ultimately, it's it's like a lot of things we do in life. It's a little bit of a leap of faith. You kind of go with the gut instinct and sure. what you like, mm -hmm. and then you hash out all these other decisions like training, uh, potential income, work-life balance. And, and, you know, naively going into medical school, you kind of think, hey, I'm going to have exposure to everything. I'm going to look at everything, and then I'll, try I'll it really all. know what right. I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't work like that. You don't have time to train and everything. So sure. you spend a lot of time training on, you know, natural or normal anatomy, normal physiology, you know, pathology, all the different areas of the body and systems. But then when you go and do like rotations, uh, you can't do a rotation through every area. <laughs> I mean, you know, most people aren't doing fertility medicine rotation, for instance. Right, and right. a lot of those docs, for instance, probably go through OBGYN. Sure. And you might find an individual that would really not want to be an OBGYN, but they might love to be a fertility doc, sure. but you got to go through that four or five years of residency, mm -hmm. subspecialize, and then what you do. So like I went through general orthopedics and I do spine. I only do spine surgery. Right. You know, I don't treat anything right. else in orthopedics, but for five years, you know, of my residency, I did all orthopedics. Yeah. I remember you were and doing so, hip replacements and stuff. Yeah. 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 So you do everything. And so it's kind of hard to, it's really hard because you have to really look ahead and not just say, you know, what do I want to do? But you have to say, I got to realize I might spend the next seven years working a lot 
not doing what my t- final goal is. Mm-hmm. So it's really long-term planning, which is always a little challenging, right? But so I looked at things that I liked. I looked at what felt good for me. And then um, you make your best guess. <laughs> and then the other thing I did is I made, I, again, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan in training and education mm-hmm. and trying to keep your options open. So I looked at for instance, uh, with orthopedics, there's so many different fields, you know, joint replacements, tumor, trauma, mm-hmm. hand surgery, mm-hmm. foot surgery, you know, and I liked a lot of those areas, meaning if I couldn't do spine, I had a lot of different options I could do that I'd probably be okay with. Sure. Whereas maybe some other fields, if I went into general surgery, maybe I would be okay doing cardiothoracic, but I really didn't want to do you know, uh, bowel surgery mm-hmm. or for instance. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of try to pick an area that I liked most of the things within it. So I okay. had different that options. Yeah. And then I, you try to get an exposure in areas you're interested in. And then ultimately though, it's a little bit of a leap of faith. Yeah. So the other thing I think people don't probably realize, cause maybe they just see it glorified on television and movies is how demanding the job is. So, I mean, you've, and I know there's, there's been times it seems like you're just working around the clock and a lot of fatigue and a lot of long hours. I mean, what is, what is the job like kind of day in and day out? I I would say, you know, there's big differences between, you know, your training and not training. And so when you're in your training, you're working a lot, a lot of hours, a lot of call, and it's all kind of mandatory enforced on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have any control over your schedule, so you don't have a lot of autonomy. Okay. So it's definitely not like you finish for my field <laughs> as a surgeon. It's not like you finish training and now I'm a staff surgeon and all of a sudden my hours are really good. Right. If you add up the hours, I work a lot of hours. The big difference is my autonomy increases significantly. Sure. And so depending on your personality, for me, autonomy is one of my big key things. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. I kind of recognized early that I almost value autonomy over everything else. And so even over income, over work hours. Oh, I mean, yeah. We have that in common. I mean, I, didn't I know think, that. yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think a lot of people value autonomy, but it's, I guess it's willing, it, it's more like, what are you willing to give up? That's for, right. You know? That's right. <laughs> and so, yeah. yeah. So typically the more autonomy you have, the more you have to work because you're invested in it personally. Right. right? And I mean, that's why you have autonomy. But so for instance, I took some time off over the holidays, but time off for me means I didn't schedule clinics. I didn't schedule surgeries, but I still took some call (laughs) and and almost every day I'm taking, you know, and you do the same. I'm taking, you know, multiple emails, texts. And to the point where I might even have to call a patient and talk them through something or Mm -hmm. just because there's, these are my patients, I've operated on them and there's really nobody else that can kind of triage the problems they're having other than me. You know, I've got assistants and I've got, uh, you know, a good nurse practitioner and great nurse managers and all these people, but ultimately it has to bounce through me. And so I would say that's one of the things about my job, you know, not to digress too much is that. My hours are variable, but they're, but I'm never totally off. Sure. So yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't I come home that. and shut off. <laughs> yeah. You know, I might come home and get a call. I might not, sure. but I might sure. get a call or I might have to run in the hospital and I don't even know I'm going right. to be. So, right. um, but you know, I, I'm an early guy, you know, I like to exercise early in the morning. So I mean, I get up at four, I exercise, I usually go to work anywhere between six and seven. I go to clinic or surgery all day. I have meetings in between, during, 
And then, you know, I might get home anywhere between three to 8 PM. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really variable That's depending true. on the day. Mm-hmm. So if I can get done and I have to get somewhere, I'll get done. But the biggest thing is it's always a question mark. So for instance, you know, if my wife says, Hey, there's a game, do you want to ride together? I'm always like, maybe, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> yeah, you don't know. If, if I get done in time, I will. If I don't get done in time, I can't. And right. So I think that uncertainty part can be a little challenging, certainly for you, but even more so for uh, your significant other or your family. You know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it, like you said, it's a trade-off. I mean, you could have a job that is literally nine to five, you clock in, <laughs> clock out, very predictable, but the upside is less usually. I mean, it's just unfortunately kind right. of what comes with it. Right. It's just the way it goes. I th- and I have a lot of friends that are like that or when they're off on the weekend, they're off, you know? Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I might be off, but it's like, uh, there's things that could come up and I may, I, you know, it just can happen. Right. You have to be ready for that call or text. So, yeah. So you've probably seen a lot of changes over the last kind of 10 to 15 years. And so I'm kind of a question of what have you seen already change in the field of medicine, surgery? I mean, and recently a lot, but you know, kind of the last 10 to 15 years and where do you see it all going in the next kind of 10 to 20 years? Yeah, it's interesting. So obviously the last two years have been really a big change for all of us in healthcare, but everyone outside of healthcare. And and it's kind of fascinating because I think it's also, it's it's one facet of healthcare, but the whole world's been exposed to that facet of healthcare. Right. right. <laughs> like, yeah. We're all, we're all yeah. learning about it. Infection. Yeah. Right. Infectious disease and mitigation of things and all, all these things. But, um, you know, I think the continued push in healthcare, which is true of a lot of areas, is less and less and less. I mean, nobody's giving you more for less anymore, and that's mm-hmm. yeah. and that's true in everything. Um, I mean, the amount of money they pay for a given procedure is a fraction of what it was, you know, 15 years ago. And I don't know mm-hmm. if everybody's even aware of that. Now, what you pay or what your insurance bill shows might be higher. Sure but the amount reimbursed back to the providers is actually quite a bit less over the years. So it's, oh, is it that is one right? of the, Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's one of the few areas where, you know, the amount of payment, for instance, for hip replacement you get now is a fraction of what it was many years ago. That's crazy. Which people probably don't know no, that, I didn't but, know that. But it's true. Um, now they've gotten more efficient and you could argue maybe it was too much years ago, mm-hmm. but but anyway, it's usually what happens over time through government and insurance changes are, you know, people generally are trying to pay a little bit more for the same thing over time. And they're trying to incentivize quality of care, which is a good thing, efficiency. Sure. Yeah. And so where it used to be years ago, you might say, I'm going to do this surgery and you have pain and I sign you up and just do it and your insurance mm-hmm. pays for it. No questions asked. That's rare now. Okay. So now the insurance and and a lot of these things are driven by, you know, good things. They 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 aren't all bad. Uh, but now your insurance will look at it and say, is this seem reasonable? Mm. Have they tried other things? Um, so maybe you'd had to have failed physical therapy. Oh, or, I see. Okay. You know, you can't say I've had pain for a day. Boom, I get this. In in my world of orthopedics, because it's more elective things traumas are different or, you know, appendicitis, that's different, but elective things, say a knee replacement, you can't come in and say, "Mm, my knee hurts. They look at it. You got knee arthritis. Boom. You get a knee replacement the next week. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they want to show 
you've tried other things. Maybe, you know, maybe your weight's too high. Uh, you know, they, they focus on BMI, mm -hmm. smoking status. Uh, have you had physical therapy? Have you tried anti-inflammatories? And then has your pain persisted past a period of time? And then it's reasonable. Mm -hmm. And if it's not reasonable, those things might get denied or you have to do an appeal. So I think us interfacing with the insurance companies and trying to get things accomplished has only increased over the years. Yeah. Um, you know, the margins for hospitals, they, they have to work a little harder, you know, to keep their margins where they want because their reimbursements aren't what they used to be. And, and in general, there's been this kind of global push. I mean, everybody hears about this in the news about, you know, how do we cover everybody insurance wise? Uh, and do we, gradually drift towards more of a social medicine mm -hmm. or do we mm -hmm. get parts of that or how do we balance that with individual choice a, and all these things? A huge question. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, technology has definitely been something that's changed a lot since you first started on this path and, and are where you are now. I wonder how much more do you think telemedicine and being able to do kind of remote work with patients is going to continue to increase? Because you already talked about the fact that you're texting and emailing with people, which wouldn't have happened 15, 20 years ago, right? So it's right. it's interesting. And I wonder how much more this will increase or how much even the pandemic has accelerated the need for it for specialization that doesn't necessarily require being physically together in an office. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We actually talk about this a lot, how the pandemic has it, it, what's a couple of things. One is a lot of these things were available before the pandemic, but we didn't use them. And so like a lot of things with technology, if you don't use them, they're futzy and you don't like them. And then you think they don't work right. well, so you don't use them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. But if somebody, you know, but if you get forced to do zoom after so many zoom calls, you're like, you know, this isn't so bad. Exactly. And then after a while exactly. longer, you're like, Oh, this is kind of nice. I don't have to like run across the campus to a building. I can right. just stop or where I'm at. Drive an hour and a half to work. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so things like that have been huge. I mean, we, we, we did all in-person conferences. They're early. People come from across town mm -hmm. and then you have to go back to different hospitals. And so a lot of our conferences have been zoom. Right. And so uh, telemedicine, we've done telemedicine in my clinic. Some of them, my partners do it a lot. Uh, and there's a lot of visits that telemedicine are totally appropriate for. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think those things are only going to increase, you know, the technology has been crazy, just even some of the surgical stuff, you know, with some of the navigation or different things I do in surgery are way different than what I would have done. I mean, even 10 years ago. Right. Um, but, but the patient interactions, you know, and now there's apps, that follow you along after surgery and they'll send the patient a reminder that, Hey, did you do your stretching today? Did you do this? And so I think it's limitless. I often kind of think back, I'm sure you remember, we, we discussed this, I think when I was in college, mm. so that would have been like in the early nineties, mid nineties. And we had talked about electronic health records at that time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that almost really predated some of the really monster, EMR systems right. that are out today yeah. that everybody has electronic records, yeah. you know, no, but no, it's a billion I dollar actually business. train yeah. and we, it's, it's crazy, but I actually train where we still walked around and wrote notes in the chart. like right. notes. <laughs> And that was still part of my training. I'm probably one of the last era of people that have done that, but it's uh, funny. Huh? My generation yeah. is, but yeah, it's just, it's changed dramatically. So back to the treasure hunt this week, I'm offering 
Kindle book as a gift. And it's a book by Cal Newport. You may have heard me talk about uh, Cal Newport before. I've really enjoyed his books. And this one is So Good They Can't Ignore You, Why Skills Trump Passion in the Quest for Work You Love. Uh, and I like this. I think it's um, it runs a little contrary to the follow your passion advice, but uh, provides some real tangible advice that you can use to develop a career that I think uh, you would love and you'd be successful with. So I want you to go to newsletter.invinciblecareer.com. There's going to be um, a post. You know, it's a treasure hunt post. And that's where you can answer the question about what is the gift this week? What is this ebook? So you can answer so good they can't ignore you. Why skills trump passion in the quest for work you love by Cal Newport. How much do you think robotic surgery is going to continue to advance and be a part of what's going on with your, with your practice? Because I'm seeing it already with other types of surgery. I mean, I think spine surgery is a little different, but does it start to introduce itself? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a great question. Uh, a short answer would be I'm not 100% sure. Uh, the long answer is there are certain areas that I think robotics have been uh, or, and I'm told from my colleagues that robotics are never uh, going to get replaced. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the way mm-hmm. to go. So, for instance, like some of the complex prostate surgeries, some of these things, I think just on the angles and how minimally invasive it can be, right. it, it can it can do things that we can't do without robotics. Right. So, right. Um, I'm sure the first time somebody did a laparoscopic, that's where you poke yeah. a hole and oh, I had scope, that done. scope through I'm the belly. Quite aware. <laughs> yeah, for your, your appendix. <laughs> that's right. The first time people did those, I'm sure a lot of people were like, these are not going to take over. It's not as good as seeing, and it's actually better. Right, you exactly. Know? Um, yeah. Spine's a little different. So for my field in spine, I use navigation. So And there's different ways to do navigation, but navigation meaning, you know, we patients on the table, we run a scan Mm -hmm. and then we have reference frames that reference a localizer to where the spine is. And then in surgery, I can literally put my pointer on a piece of bone and look at the screen and see it like a 3d CT scan. And so I can put screws exactly where I want things like that. Those, those are neat and and they work really well. They're not absolutely necessary, but I think it's Mm -hmm. for certain cases, they're better. And I use it a lot. Robotics and spines a little different because it's a combination of the navigation. And then also, what do you have the the robot do? Usually the robot's functionally like some type of mechanized arm. Sure. It it doesn't look like a Rocky four robot, but it, (laughs) uh, but you know, so you get the navigation part, but then instead of you hand screwing the screw in, it might put the screw in or drill or, you know, and so, I have a little bit of uneasiness with that in spine because there's still a lot of what I do where I want tactile feedback. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I want mm-hmm. to see that if I slightly come through a bone, I don't want to hit a nerve. Yeah, and, yeah. and ultimately when you're trusting technology, there's going to be occasional oops factors. And sure, I just, I sure. haven't been able to come to grips with if one, if we can allow that or two, the other thing that happens in medicine is you might say the robot puts it in a degree better but your degrees of freedom on what's good is five degrees. So maybe it's a degree better, but it doesn't actually change outcomes. And if that's the case, then you got to try to rationalize the cost. And so um, there's certainly robotics in spine already. We have a robot at our institution. Uh, I'm a little more hesitant to 
jump into robotics fine. I'm not quite sure where that's going to go. The other thing is, like robotics and joint replacement, for instance, I mean, mm. that's been around mm-hmm. actually 15, maybe 20 years longer. It still hasn't universally taken over. So sometimes there are some people who use it, some don't. So clearly it hasn't, you know, changed everything. Right. So there are some fields where it's really taken over and some fields I don't think it will. Okay. Okay. Well, before we wrap up, I was wondering if there's any advice you would give to, you know, a younger person who's listening or a career changer, you know, like, like Benjamin's a career changer who worked in tech for many years. And he's like, you know what, I want to do something that has more meaning and purpose. And so he's going into you know, the, the medical field. So what advice would you give to somebody who's starting down this path or, or sw- wants to switch into this path, things that they should think about? Um, I, I guess the biggest thing I would say is don't be afraid to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had a lot of comments over the years about, gosh, you've been in training so long, you're doing this and that. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, the problem is, I mean, unless somebody else has that figured out, we've only got one life. And so if you feel like there's, you have a different calling or there's something you can do that will fulfill you more, mm-hmm. or you can contribute more to, you know, this world or society. Right. I don't think life is long enough to not do that. I mean, mm-hmm. and the other thing is, no matter how long it seems, uh, it doesn't seem as long as sitting and doing something you don't like for your whole life. <laughs> so, there you go. So, there you know, you, yep. I, you know, I came back and started uh, here in my mid-30s, but you're then going to work the next 30 years doing what you like. Or I could right. do... 40 years doing something I don't like. So I'd rather spend 30 yeah, years just doing yeah, what I like. Exactly. You know, and, and the training isn't, I mean, the training is interesting too. So, I mean, I think it's just, you have to be willing, you have to be willing to sacrifice some things. But the other thing is, and we all experience this, two hours of doing something you like is better than a half hour you don't like. So even mm-hmm. though you're spending time and you're working a lot, it doesn't feel like that. So like I work a lot, but I love my job. And ultimately, um, you know, if I can take care of somebody and they do well and they have a good outcome and they're happy, they're happy and I can see them improve. I mean, that's, I, it's more rewarding than, you know, anything else I I do as far as, uh, jobs I've had in the past. So I think, um, you know, don't undersell doing what you want to do, being men- mentally stimulated and feeling that you've made an impact and that you have some autonomy. These are big global concepts that you can't get with, you know, every job. That's so true. So if you have the capacity to do things, I, I say go for it, you know. I love it. Good advice. Good advice. Well, that's a good note to end on. Chris, thanks for coming on the show. This has been very helpful, I think, for a lot of folks and uh, the, the questions that came in that we addressed, I think, this is, there are a lot of tough decisions, but like you said, it's better to do something that you feel has meaning and purpose. And, and I agree when you're doing work, you love, it doesn't feel the same as work that you, that you hate. It's completely different. Absolutely. Completely different. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you would like to follow upcoming releases of the show, please subscribe. And as always, I appreciate your ratings and reviews. Thank you. If you would like to learn more about Invincible Career and the podcast, you can visit InvincibleCareer.com. Until next time, I wish you the best of luck in becoming an opportunity magnet for the best things in life.